Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sally Allen podcast. As you know, we use this platform for people to share their stories of resilience. And today I have my wonderful, beautiful friend, Gianna Driver. She is a CHRO for a cybersecurity team, Eskabim. Eskabim, did I say that right? Exabim. Exabim. I know I could get it right. But Gianna and I met at a company, a former company that we both worked at, and um, we hit it off right away. So that was cool. And um, uh, she, I, she was always in my peripheral. I never let her out of my sight after that. So she's one of my favorite people. Gianna, welcome to the Sally Allen podcast. Thanks, Sally. I'm super excited to be here. Yes. And I know you're going to share your story with us today. Uh, my voice sounds a little bit scratchy. I've been sick for 10 days, so I hope I don't cough up a storm. But if I do, that's okay, too, because we're real, right? <laughs> Stuff happens. Yeah. So what are you sharing with us today, Gianna? Mm, well, we um, your, your guidance to me was, Gianna, just be yourself. We yeah. want to hear who you are and and hear your story. So I at first tried to script something out and then I'm like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to script it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to flow with it and really be open to where our conversation goes today. Um, and my commitment is I will be real. I will be authentic and I'll be vulnerable. That is awesome because I can't wait to hear where your story started to where you are today. You're so inspiring being the CHRO for such a prestigious company. Um, so I know you have a very resilient story to share with us. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's funny. I think the the process of, of being resilient isn't something that I think many people who are resilient think of, right? Like if, as you're going through life, you're just, you're journeying, doing the best that you can. Um, my story really begins with my mother more so than, than with me. My mother was a mail order bride from the streets of Manila in the Philippines and came to the U.S. within two weeks, married my father, whom she'd never met in person. And roughly 10 months later, I was born. And by the time I was just a few months old, my parents had had separated and I grew up splitting my time between my my mother and my father. And little did I realize at the time that the seeds of what I do today, so being a, an HR professional, were really sown and planted during that during my childhood. So I'll I'll pause there, Sally. But yeah. <laughs> I'm digesting <laughs> and my mind is racing. I'm like male or uh, I have so many questions, male or order bride. So is that legal? You know, I don't know if it's legal today in the same way that it was legal, we'll just say many, many decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but what, what ended up happening is my mother had a very challenging and difficult life back in the Philippines. And I think for for many women, for many, it's, it's often women, doesn't have to be, um, they look at where they are and the life that is a, more of a guaranteed path of, of continued poverty and hardship. And then they look at the prospect of the unknown, of beginning life new in America. And yes, there are many, many challenges in that journey, but it offers a chance at um, a, a different a different lifestyle and a different path. And for my mother who always wanted to have children, she didn't want her child or her children to have the same 
story that she'd had in the Philippines, which was a very, very difficult one. And so really it was for my mother's unborn children or, or child, me, I'm, I'm an only child by my mother, was for that and that hope and dream and wanting to have a better life for her for her child that she moved. She gave up everything and ventured into the unknown and came to America. Wow, your mom is a story of resilience that takes bravery to come to America. I'm assuming without any relatives, just this man that she's exactly. coming to. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. She'd never met. I, they had spoken on the phone a little bit. This is before the internet and all of that stuff. My dad would occasionally call long distance to the Philippines, but those were the very rushed, super expensive types of calls that you just right. sort of said hello. And, you know, there was a 10 second delay either direction. <laughs> and it's like $50 for that one minute. <laughs> I remember right. those days. Yeah. Yes. Oh yes. my gosh. Amazing. So yeah, we'll continue your story. So what happened? You, you were born here, you grew up here. Um, tell us more about your story. Yeah, well, so my mother, um, remember, had been in the country for a, a very short time, you know, a little over a year, didn't speak great English. And even in the Philippines, my mom um, wasn't super educated. She had a, a high school degree. It took her quite some time, given her situation in the Philippines, to get her high school diploma, but she did get a high school degree. And uh, so when she came to the U.S., she didn't have a lot of marketable skills here. She wasn't great at communicating. She didn't have a network. She didn't really have folks to, to rely on. She didn't have a community. So um, given the situation with my dad, one night she packed our suitcases, or I should say a small suitcase, and walked down the driveway with me in one arm and the suitcase in the other arm. I was an infant, so I don't remember this, but this is as my mother would recount it to me when I was growing up. And we went to a neighbor's house since we had nowhere else to go and the neighbor took us in, we stayed there for about a month or so. And then there was a women's shelter in a small town, about an hour and a half North of the, the town I was born in. And so my mother and I hopped on a Greyhound bus and with a, with a one-way ticket because my mom couldn't drive. She didn't have her license. And we got off at the Greyhound station in the other town and some workers, social workers picked us up, took us to the shelter, and my mother became the night manager of the shelter. So that allowed us to stay in the women's shelter for a lot longer than would be typical, because often folks who go to women's shelters are there for three months, four months, maybe a maximum of six months, depending on the the terms and, and practices of the specific shelter, but we stayed there for years because my mother had, um, you know, the job as, as night manager. So we had a small apartment um, efficiency unit, so to speak, um, in the back. I got goosebumps, like right and left, all the way down to my toes. What a powerful story! Wow, your mom is your mom still alive? She is still with us, yeah, and thankfully she's in um, she's in great health. My mom yeah. is she's a firecracker, four foot nine woman. <laughs> <laughs> she's about my height. What's your mom's name? Gloria. Gloria, I want to tell you that you've inspired me. Just what Gianna had just said. It's so amazing. I remember when I came to this country and I couldn't drive, mm -hmm. and it was the same thing. I had to like carry my son on the bus and. And our stories are so similar. I can relate to that. So, Gloria, wow, you are a bad ASS. 
Well, Sally, as I was reading your book, I actually saw a lot of my mom in your story. There was so much about your journey that resonated in a really real and powerful way. Yeah, thank you for reading my book. I appreciate that, Gianna. I appreciate that so much. So this is riveting. What happened after that? Well, so my my mother had multiple jobs. So the the primary job, the day job, was she was in the housekeeping department or you know a janitor at the hospital in town, and that was where she worked for twenty something, almost thirty years, and then was the night manager at the shelter, and then occasionally she would have other cleaning gigs at offices or whatever. But those were kind of the two primary primary jobs, if you will. And I, I grew up in an, in an environment watching my mother work super hard. And then, um, I had, I had very different experiences with my dad and my, my American family, if you will, and also my mom and, um, my very Filipino experience with my mom. So I would spend alternating weekends and alternating holidays and almost all of my summers on the farm with my dad. And we had a beef cattle farm in East Texas and then would spend the school days and alternating holidays and weekends with my mom, which was more of a a city urban immigrant lifestyle. So two incredibly, incredibly different experiences. And I go back to, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was learning how to relate to people from all different walks of life and different experiences. And in what I do today, that is essential. So it doesn't matter if someone is from this place, this place, or this place, the ability to connect with people on a human level is what allows me to be effective and to do my role. Yeah, that, you know, I know your mom went through a lot. What impact did that have on you growing up? And how did that shape you into the person you are today? I learned and saw unconditional love from my mom. I saw resiliency. Her story is one of of heartache, but also of great triumph and, and joy. And my mom is not an educated person, but she's a very wise person. And she's she's learned wisdom through life experiences. So I learned humility from my mom. I learned that it doesn't matter your degree or your your book knowledge and your academic knowledge. That is important, yes, but that shouldn't be what defines you. And everybody has roles and contributions and a valid perspective to share. Yeah, I like that. Sometimes wise is better than book knowledge because you can apply wise. Mm-hmm. It's hard sometimes to apply that book knowledge in the real world. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Gianna, you have a little girl, not so little. Yeah. Uh, what's yes, her name? Abigail. 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 How yeah. does all this translate? How Abigail knowing this story, right? How is it impacting her? Yeah. Well, Abigail knows age-appropriate parts of that story. Yeah. So she, she'll she be 10 in January, and she knows that uh, Lola, which is the Filipino term for, for grandmother, um, is from the Philippines and had a hard life there, and she knows mommy had a pretty challenging experience as well growing up um, in Texas. But she doesn't know all of the facts um, just yet because I 
I will expose her to more as she, as she gets older. But one of the things that I try to impart to Abigail is those same lessons that I learned about unconditional love and humility and people being equal, irrespective of their background, their education, where they come from. These are themes and, and core values that I'm trying to instill in Abigail as she as she grows up. Yes. Um, I've seen pictures of you and Abigail. You're quite an extensive traveler. <laughs> yes, it's so fun because this is it's just such a really special time, right? Yeah, to be yeah. able to, you know, to have this. And and time is one of our most precious gifts in this life. Yeah. You mentioned back when you were talking about Abigail, some of the challenges that you've been through when you were in Texas. Uh, do you mind sharing some of those? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, when you when you're a little girl and you're growing up in a women's shelter, you you're surrounded by struggle. You're surrounded by pain. You see women who are coming to the shelter in crisis. They're experiencing trauma. I have very vivid and painful recollections of calls my mom would get when she was on duty in the middle of the night and we would have to go pick people usually women up from very distressing situations i remember one time we were in the car and we we got to the the address the appointed address and the woman ran out and she was screaming and you know dripping in in blood there was a little kid with her I was trying to comfort the kid. My mom was trying to comfort the the woman. We rushed them to the ER. They took care of the the physical pieces, and then they were at the shelter for for multiple months. And I realized that the physical wounds heal a lot faster than some of the other wounding mm -hmm. and, and scarring that occurs. And as a little girl growing up. I was not sure if this was normal or not. It didn't feel normal. Um, and I, I remember watching television shows and things and, and realizing that the people on TV didn't have the same kind of struggles in life that we had in, in the shelter. And that's where I started to really question my surroundings and, and really question if that was normal. And I started to become closer to my teachers at school, I, I saw them as, as role models really, because I didn't have any other outside of, of my mom and her unwavering strength. I didn't have a lot of positive role models, but teachers were really that for me. And I saw normalcy. I saw most of my teachers were women and I saw these women who seemed happy and they had relationships that were not abusive and they seemed very healthy and they took vacations and they, you know, did all of these things that I dreamed about. And I started to realize, I think education might be the way out of a lot of this stress and, and poverty and, and pain that, that I was surrounded in. And I started to apply myself in school. My mother was so excited when I would bring home a report card that had all A's or 90 pluses and stuff like that. Right. So, um, you know, it, it became this, this positive spiral of, of, you know, one thing led to another, led to another. Wow. I'm so glad for teachers. They have such impacts on, you know, on our lives without realizing yeah. how much impact they have. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I can relate to your story though, watching 
growing up in a lot of abuse, sometimes you're not sure what's normal and what isn't. And like you, I TV, I watch it. I'm like, how come they have such normal lives on TV versus what I'm my nightmare that I'm living, you know, and you get to contrast that and say like, I want better. Yeah. I want better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So something you said uh, back uh, a couple of minutes ago regarding being in that shelter and some of the things you saw and helping different people uh, translate into what you do today. Mm -hmm. Is that one of the reasons why you decided to go into HR and help people? Yes and no. Um, and I, I let me let me qualify that and expand on that a little bit. So the no part is that I didn't grow up wanting to be an HR professional. In fact, and I'd never really heard of HR before. I thought you could either be a doctor or a nurse or a teacher. Those were kind of the the, yeah. the, the roles and positions that I that I grew up seeing and and thinking about. I so I didn't grow up with with that dream and aspiration. Um, however, when I started my career, I naturally gravitated toward things that are housed in the HR, you know, umbrella, if you will. So things like uh, learning, things like recruitment and performance management, and helping people bring their best selves to work. And then as I as I've gone down this journey, some of the things that that I love the most about my role and my job is the opportunity to work with CEOs and leaders of organizations. So we create these really fun environments where people can be their, their best selves and do their best work. I did witness and see a lot of my mom's struggles in just different professional settings, whether it was at the hospital or the shelter or whatever. And so I get excited that I'm able to work with leaders to create environments where people can really thrive. They they can feel valued and know that their voice matters in the in the trajectory of the organization. That brings me a lot of joy. Yes. I you know I've worked in different organizations and um HR is not well trusted in some of these mm -hmm. organizations. So to hear you say that, giving people a voice, but you're also there to help the leaders. Um I, I love that. I love mm -hmm. that you're making that difference there. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure people trust you there uh, because, you know, we work at different places where they don't trust HR. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing is I think the old way of looking at HR mm -hmm. was one that was very reactionary and not strategic and really this necessary administ administrative cost center. And thankfully, we live in an era and fortunately and unfortunately, the pandemic really highlighted the importance of HR practitioners or, you know, people operations practitioners, because I think for the first time really ever leaders realized, oh my gosh, this part of the organization, the HR team, they're helping with mental health. They're helping with caring for a population of workers that are going through a lot um, in their, you know, with, with COVID and their family lives, having to shelter in place, all of that. And the, the folks who really held everything together and corralled and, and, and loved people were HR professionals and um, we're emerging from the pandemic. And I think that leaders are also realizing, wow, it's the HR team that can help with making strategic people-centered decisions. Yeah. 
So what was your first job? Was it in HR or was it something else? And then it led you to HR? It was not in HR. So I remember I, um, I was, it was recruited and, uh, my first, my first job post-college was at a very large multinational insurance company. And there was this executive rotation, uh, management rotation program that I joined. And at the time, my goal was to do well professionally, earn money and take care of my mom. That was kind of what I <laughs> what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That's such an honorable goal, though. Take care of your mom, you know. Um, it comes back full circle, right? It does. It yeah. so does, Sally. And and one of the things I've realized as I've as I've journeyed and gone through life is um, the moments that we spend with our family are are truly the most precious gifts of, of life. And my mom is in her late seventies. Thankfully she's in pretty good health for being almost 79 years old. And so Abigail, my mom and I try to every year spend time together and make memories and, and just bond as a, as a family of, of women. (laughs) Yeah. I I love it. You and your mom, I've said this before, but pretty remarkable like that you're not a statistic given what you've gone through and given your mom's background because it takes a lot of resiliency to escape from that type of past it does sally 100 percent, it does and you know i i sit here today and can have this conversation but i want to be very honest and open that this was not always the case um, you know, when you go through these experiences that are hard, it doesn't even begin to describe the type of challenge and difficulty. I, you know, I, I went through some really dark periods and I, I stood on the shoulders of angels and didn't realize it at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were times where the moments in my life were so dark and so hard and I felt so helpless and so much like I wanted an escape, but I didn't feel like I had the power to escape. And the only escape that seemed feasible was ending my life. And I did attempt to do that on multiple, on two two different occasions. And thankfully it was unsuccessful in both attempts, but that I share that because those are hard times. And so, yes, today I can, I can look back at the trajectory of my life and where I am and look at the the bright moments. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for those, but do know that the spirit that I show up with today was, was forged in fire and, and heartache. Yeah, totally. Um, and I'm so inspired by it, but would you say if you were to go back, you won't change it for anything because it made you who you are today. Absolutely. Absolutely. 125,000% agree with you. I would change nothing about my past if I had a magic crystal ball and could go back because to your point, it's made me who I am. I am because of those experiences, however hard, however challenging, and also however beautiful and wonderful, all of those things have come together to create 
the person that I am today. And I, I have learned to accept myself. I have learned the importance of self-love. It hasn't always been that way, but I have learned that. And I am grateful for many of the very challenging things that happened in my past. Yeah. I think we met how many years ago? Was that five, six years, Gianna? It was five or six years ago. Five or six yeah. years. But once you left that company, we were with your career just accelerated. I'm seeing all these awards and all these things you're, you're, you know, you're rewarded with on LinkedIn. And I'm like, your trajectory just went boom from zero to 60 so fast. And that was so impressive. And I am so proud and honored to know you and watch like that growth so quickly. What did you think happened? I mean, you just went from zero to 60 really fast. What was Aww. that about? Talk to me about that. <laughs> Thank you for that, Sally. Um, I think a lot of things came together at the right time, right? Mm. So a combination of resiliency, a combination of each experience building upon the experiences that occurred before. I think also finally maturing enough to be okay, stepping into my power and taking a seat at the table, mm. because when you're the, you know, the, the kid from the welfare and food stamps background who has imposter syndrome, who feels much less yeah. than everybody else in the room, it's really darn hard to sit at the table <laughs> with a bunch of people who look very different and who think differently, you know, than, mm. than I do. It's really hard to pull up a chair and to have your voice be heard and to say your piece with confidence. And I think over time, I have learned that I have a perspective that's worth sharing and not everyone has to agree with it, but this is what I bring to the table. And it is that differentness that is also very valuable. Thank you for being so vulnerable. I'm just kicking myself that I didn't have you earlier on the show. I think this story will inspire so many people given your level, but you're not afraid to share your deepest, darkest, most, um, you know, horrible times that you've, you've had. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think yeah. it's going to inspire a lot of people. Mm, I, I hope so. And I, yes. I hope that the listeners also understand we're all, we're all humans having very human experiences. And sometimes it's so easy to see the outside. So let's not compare our inside that's messy and, and, and imperfect with the pretty glam and glitzy outsides <laughs> that we see of others because the human experience doesn't work that way. We're all, we're all human and we're all people and life is messy. And that's part of what also makes it beautiful. I love that. Yeah. So what's a takeaway today for our audience? Mm. I think if you're going through hard times, you, you have self-doubts, you have fears, you have insecurities, it's okay to acknowledge those voices, but then to not give them power to say, to have, to, to say, I see you fear. I see you insecurity. I see you voice. I acknowledge your existence. I'm, I'm going to put you over here on the side. You're not going to be part of what governs and rules my, my choices, my decisions, and my thought processes. And I'm going to take a deep breath, believe in myself and do the best that I can. And if I fall, I'm going to get back up and try it again. Beautiful. Thank you. 
Gianna, thank you so much for being on the show. My takeaway today is what you just said, life is messy, but don't compare yourself to other people. It's so easy to fall into that comparison trap because what we see on the outside is not necessarily what's going on on the inside. Exactly. Exactly. We've learned that. So stay away from from comparing. Uh, Jana, thank you again for being on the show. I so appreciate you taking time out of your busy day and love, love hearing your story. I can't believe I have not heard it before, but I'm grateful and thankful that you've shared now. Um, Thank you to our listeners and Austin behind a Dax. and Sticky Paw Studio, obviously, if you're listening to this, rate, review, and share with your friends.